all was not quite as it seemed. Many Jews and resistors were indeed saved, but certainly not 5,000. And they had been saved not by nonviolence, but by a remarkable adventure in imagination and cooperation. It was not the only adventure of its kind, but the area's very remoteness and the tacit support of almost every one of its inhabitants makes it stand out. There was a fairly decent prefect and a less than murderous German officer, but neither could be described as good. There was not just one village, Le Chambon, but half a dozen others across the whole plateau of the Vivarais-Lignon, as well as many outlying hamlets. And not one Protestant pastor, but twenty-four, along with members of other Protestant faiths, like the Darbyists and the Ravenists, descendants of followers of the Plymouth Brethren, as well as Catholics, and many who professed no religious faith at all. Doctors, teachers, university professors, students, and a large number of boy and girl scouts all played key parts. And André Trocmé himself was a far subtler, more troubled and doubting man than the myth suggested. Hero to some, mythomane to others, Trocmé, who died in 1971, has become a figure of renown. As ever, the truth, inasmuch as it can be established 70 years after the event, is considerably more interesting. The myth has much diminished reality. It has also given rise to an unceasing flow of feuds, jealousies, backbiting, calumnies, hearsay, claims and counterclaims and prejudice, pitting Catholics against Protestants, armed resistors against pacifists, civilians against maquisards, believers against agnostics, those who seek glory against those who wish to remain silent. To this day, the topic is as heated as it was in the years in which it first turned into an explosive mixture of local politics and historical rivalry. Nor did it help when, in 2004, President Chirac called Le Chambon la conscience de notre pays. What actually took place on the plateau of the Vivarais-Lignon during the gray and terrifying years of German occupation and Vichy rule is indeed about courage, faith, and morality. But it is also about the fallibility of memory. Part 1. Escaping. Chapter 1. Mea Culpa. When Aaron Liveron brought Sarah, his fiancée, to Paris from her parents' house in Warsaw in the summer of 1926, France was a good place for refugees. The French government was welcoming, granting naturalization to the many Poles, Russians, Galicians, and Romanians who came to fill the jobs in industry and mining left vacant by the high number of French casualties in the Great War. The international bookshop on the left bank sold books and papers in Russian and Polish. The French proved welcoming, too, to the Germans, Austrians, Italians, and Spaniards arriving in the wake of the rise to power of Hitler, Mussolini, and Franco. And some of the refugees went off to work in agriculture in the South. Aaron was a leather worker, and Sarah covered the clasps he brought home from the workshop with silk, and sometimes with leather. 
Their first child, Berthe, was born in April 1927. A son, Simon, followed in November 1928. Though Aaron and Sarah occasionally talked of the day they would be able to go back to Poland, they naturalized the two children and made them French citizens. The Liverants occupied two rooms, with no bathroom and a shared lavatory, in Belleville, which, along with the Marais and the 11th, 12th, and 18th arrondissements, was home to most of the foreign immigrants in Paris, and particularly to the Jewish families like theirs working in fur and textiles. Aaron's sister had also settled in France, and she too had French citizenship, but neither she nor Aaron and Sarah saw themselves as observant. To be Jewish in France in the 1920s and 1930s was to enjoy the legacy of the French Revolution.